to Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is the UK's leading drum shop with store locations in Glasgow and Leeds. Our podcasts are full of interviews, gear reviews, and much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. The show is hosted by two pasty Scottish dudes who talk real fast. Whoa. Slow down there, Braveheart. So here's Chris, the Glasgow shop manager, and Adam, the social media manager. Be sure to like, subscribe, and let's do this. Drummers Only Radio, episode number 51. And we're here with our great friend, Michael Shack. Good evening, Michael. How are you? Good evening, guys. So I'm episode 51, then. Yes, correct. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we've been doing this for just over two years, I think, now. Um, and oh, great. The, um, the video started because of lockdown, because we couldn't see people in the store and, and, and exactly. that kind of thing. So we decided to start doing them on Zoom. Um, and it's been working out okay so far, apart from some techie good. issues this evening. But um, we haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing, man? How, how's things? Things are good. I'm healthy. I'm uh, positive. Uh, COVID brought some possibilities as well. It's it's not at all. Uh, it's it's actually not have it. It has not been the most negative experience at all, because uh, yeah, I I got some more time at home and I I started producing a little bit more. The Dromeo coaches started and that's going really well. Uh, I could work a little bit on some new things drumming wise. Uh, yeah. Great. I can't complain, actually. Good. It's good to hear positivity. Um, we had Joost Nickel on last episode, or it's just dropped today, and he was the same, very positive. So it's it's good to hear you guys are turning it into good things. You know? Well, it's let's let's say it's not the most uh, dreamt of situation, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but one thing's for sure: uh, music is not cancelled. Uh, and that's what many people forget. Okay, there's no concerts and so on. But on the other hand, if you can find yourself being creative in a crisis situation, you're good for the rest of your life. That's my opinion. Um, and still, um, I, I don't like the musicians that are now very, very negative. And, and because, you know, you started making music as a young guy or girl when you weren't even being a professional you just hmm. did it out of passion and i think i found a little bit of that passion back amazing amazing good yeah yeah i think yeah. as well the, the, the people that were not idle the people that were creative straight away were the people that were always going to do well because they they turn what like you said they turn what is a negative situation into a positive one you know um yeah how did you get your start playing, man? What? How did it? Like you just talked about that, you didn't start playing music for anything other than passion. So how did it start for you? I was four years old. Wow! And uh, I had parents who were like musically minded. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a good taste for music. We there was jazz at our house. There was French music, like Jacques Brel, at our house. And I just started moving to some beats and and some rhythms that passed on the radio. My parents saw it. And uh, they allowed me to uh, have a, a pair of sticks and a, and a, and a, and a, a living room seat to start. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when I was seven years ago, when I was seven years old for my, well, we, we call it Sinterklaas in, mm-hmm. uh, in Benelux, but it's actually Santa Claus um, kind of a thing. I received a pair of bongos. Oh, wow. And then one year later, they added kind of a very dodgy looking snare drum <laughs> and with those two bongos and that snare i was just sitting on the floor and i started compiling tom like constructions mm-hmm. with uh, the old washing powder boxes <laughs> you know those were like cardboard cylinders yeah it looked like a very big version of this ga- roll of gaffer tape you know they were really <laughs> yeah, yeah. long and then I just started bashing and 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 uh, I started listening to 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 American made music. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was a, my my late father was a was a, somebody who was working at a bank and he was specialized in in credits in in, in loans for uh, new companies. And um, he got a client who was starting a new import uh, a record import company in Antwerp. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and they started importing uh, original American pressed vinyl uh, from CBS records at that time and so on. So every week he came home with the most amazing records and I was just playing along and that's, that's how it got a little bit more serious, but I never had the ambition to become a professional musician. Oh, I was really? still, yeah, no, I, I, I just went to music school for music notation courses, mm -hmm. but no drumming courses. I, I, I mainly thought, taught myself just by playing along to those, uh, Herbie Hancock, Michael Jackson records, <laughs> everything was mixed up. Brothers Johnson, lots of P funk, Parliament funkadelic. Oh yeah, man. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's those are my roots. Uh, mixture of Miles Davis to Parliament funkadelic to Earth, Wind and Fire to uh, you know mainly funky music, uh, but the real deal. And then um, when I went to university, I actually studied economics, not music. Whoa. Yeah. And I have a degree in economics. Wow. So, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I became a professional musician the year after I graduated because in the, at that time we still had to, we still had a obligatory army service for one year. And during that year I was in the army, I was stationed quite close to home during the weekend. I was gigging and okay. that's how it started. Yeah. And I ended up playing with a band. And that band, uh, we recorded an album together. I also co-wrote some of the songs. And that album came out. It was signed by a major label suddenly because we had a very good manager. And suddenly, after my army service, instead of working in a bank, I started doing a tour. <laughs> wow. So and that's how it happened. So it was a very natural thing, thanks to people actually buying that record, which mm -hmm. immediately went into a golden record for in, in Belgium within three months after the release. So I could actually make a living out of just playing with the band. Wow. What a story, man. So yeah. if, if it wasn't for the army, we would have no Michael Shack playing stadiums because you would have been. Well, actually, if, if, if we weren't, if we weren't, if we wouldn't have been able to record that album during my army service and also go gigging in bars and cafes and get a name for ourselves, it would probably ended up being, I would probably have ended up just, you know, with a different, totally different career, still playing drums, but more as a hobby than as a professional uh, occupation. Please, yeah. please take this in every way I intend it, but you are not the kind of person that should be working in a bank, man. Like, well, actually, I do my own banking. But, <laughs> but you've got you've got too like, much. Like every, you guys as well, you know, with, mm. you know everybody mm -hmm. does his own business. But the thing is, and this is actually, I'm very fortunate because due to the fact that I do have a degree in mm. economics, immediately I could also take my own management in hand. Mm. So apart from playing with the band, I immediately also realized that I needed to do some marketing, of course, thanks to my universal uh, university studies, I also got to speak and learn four languages, which yeah. really helped me in the Roland uh, uh, thing. Yeah. Because I could speak uh, Dutch, uh, French, German and English and mm -hmm. writing as well. So I also, you know, I have a little bit of uh, knowledge about contracts and publishing and so on, so on, so on, because, you know, those were topics that really interested me when I was still a student as well. So it, it, it kind of evolved towards, you know, this was the music path. This was mm. my degree and it came together and it made a combination. And this way I became like an independent, a little bit of my own independent company. So I started doing things outside of the band, which I was, which I thought were, were more, were also very important to get organized and so on, so on, so on. That's so, uh, really fascinating to hear, man. That's I use it every day. Yeah. yeah. But like what I mean so, is you've got so much passion for music that it would have been a crime if, if we didn't have you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks for the compliment. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, I'm, I, let's, let's say it's a, it's a lucky coincidence that everything <laughs> came together, yeah. but it started, it always starts by, uh, playing in front of an audience mm. you're as a musician you can have the most crazy ideas and the most the most let's say the most uh, the, the biggest ambitions 
mm-hmm. but it's still the audience which helps the most. If they don't like what you're doing, you're not going to end up playing in front of an audience. <laughs> they have to, you know, that's something I realize myself more and more, especially when going online, mm. you need to, you, you don't only have to perform for yourself. You also have to entertain people and, and make something worthwhile so they can get some fun and some positive thing out of it. And, when you find that good combination, that's mostly good for a long-lasting career. Yeah, I, think. Abs- I would agree completely because you know you would have no gold record without an audience, right? You know, it's, it's I mean, exactly. That... You will even not a bronze record. You know, it doesn't <laughs> need to be a gold record. Yeah. It does. There's no way that you can you can land inspiring playing situations without having the audience dancing on your drumming. It's impossible. Was that something you learned before college? No. That's okay. something I saw happening before college. But it's okay. not something you learned because I was an audience myself mm-hmm. when I was 14, 15 years old. I went to see Level 42 and they <laughs> live in Holland. And I went to the North Sea Jazz Festival and oh, I, I saw... You know, I saw Michael Jackson live at at Werchter and I really went out and, and checked out all those drummers and so on. But I saw people dancing around me and I, I thought by myself, that's what I that's what I want to do as a drummer, make people dance. And I think I I kind of stuck to that ambition. Yeah, because there's a lot of musicians that play in their bedroom that don't really, you know, they, they become, I guess they become happy with that. But to not share that's okay that. yeah totally totally but if you want to like you're talking about you were already going out and and gigging as well as a hobby so you had that ingrained from being a teenager to being a working musician you sort of learned that i i i just loved boomy pas <laughs> i loved watching sound checks i i i i became a little bit of a pa geek myself because i okay. so much love a loud pa you know with a lot of sub and a lot of high end and just kicking your butt yeah and 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 uh yeah i'm you know to be honest it also depends a little bit on your personality i think more introvert people will see their music making in a different way than Mm. i do Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm more extrovert and i just love being on stage and Mm. kicking the hell out of those (laughs) pa speakers (laughs) how did you get started with electronics because that's what you've You've you know looking That's at your, your actually website. That's part of the thing, right? I immediately rediscovered that if you want to have a, the best drum sounds I saw were the sounds which were you know the the best drum things drum experience I saw live when I was a youngster was always there was always something electronic involved. Wow! Like I remember one of the first Billy Cobham concerts I saw with Billy Cobham as a drummer. I was mm-hmm. 12 years old. He was using the very first version of those syncussion drums. You know, those pads that went pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought it was awesome. I, mean, I was more interested in how he, u- he was using those effect sounds than actually the double bass drumming. Mm-hmm. Because I, I thought it was something new. And then when I saw uh, a live concert by the Japanese band called Cassiopeia. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, at the North Sea Jazz Festival. The drummer of Cassiopeia is Akira Jimbo. Oh, wow. And he was one, he was one of the first guys who actually integrated electronics into his acoustic Yamaha setup. Yeah, absolutely. He is probably one of the first international touring hybrid drummers. Wow. In the in the mid 80s, he was the guy who actually was triggering tom and kick sounds. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And it looked like a normal acoustic drum set. So when people tell me, "Hey, hybrid drumming, it's kind of new." I say, "Well, maybe you you were asleep for the last 40 <laughs> years because uh, 35 years ago, Akira Jimbo was just doing that on the festival stages." Wow, wow! So then, do you take that and then what? Go find Simmons or go and find Yamaha or something or whatever? Oh just... no! I I, I immediately uh, when I was when I was studying, I was 18 years old. I just had my driver's license. I immediately drove to the music store and bought myself a Dr. Pat, wow. which was the very first Boss 
one pad and you had three versions. You had the percussion versions with one cowbell sound and a clap sound. <laughs> then you had an electronic version with a clap and a kick sound. And then you had another one. And I went for the one which produced the clap and the kick sound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you could actually hit it mm -hmm. for claps on the snare. And I was playing in a, in a soul uh, cover band and I was banging on that clap for every single chorus. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to I wanted to play those claps and I immediately discovered that when I did those claps people were clapping as well. So it kind of went into my system that actually adding some electronic sounds to your acoustic drumming actually helped people move. That's pretty nice. amazing man. So when was that? I was like what 30 years ago 84. Wow. That's amazing. So as as far far back as that to be very honest, I'm 55 years old. Well, you look good for it. Thank you. No oh. smoking, no drinking. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but but I started I started uh, with with Blue Blood with the band that got a golden record. My mm -hmm. professional career started exactly in '91, so wow. that's uh, 30 years ago. Yeah, that's it's pretty amazing to because then you'll have basically been playing drums almost through the evolution of electronics. Yes, oh, but when no. I started, you already had the Bill Bruford. Yeah, to, absolutely. But like, yeah. like the, the way that the, the electronics are used, uh, I'm going to air quote commercially or for like yeah. the everyman drummer. Yeah. You've seen that evolution go from... Well, the first time I went to Frankfurt Musikmesse, which was in the late 80s, I think, Yusep mm -hmm. uh, was playing for Roland. Yusep, mm -hmm. uh, a Canadian fusion band, mm -hmm. and uh, the drummer was actually using that first big electronic uh, drum set from Roland, wow. the BCM30, whatever it was, mm -hmm. with those hexagonic pads. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know the one you mean. And uh, he was just uh, doing that with, of course, at that time, uh, acoustic cymbals, because most of the electronic drummers at that time were using pads, but the cymbals were still uh, mm -hmm. acoustic. And I was also a big fan of the band Cameo. Oh, yeah. You remember that song, Word Up? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Well, uh, the very first album Cameo put out was already with a Simmons drum set. So oh, okay. he, the drummer was playing a Simmons drum set with uh, acoustic cymbals. And that was actually their re album, their, their studio recording. Mm -hmm. So many people were already doing hybrid and electronics before I actually totally dug into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like just just fascinating to see the tech develop. So how do you get from Oh. Well the well the, the other thing is that what what I was going to say is you obviously when watching you play, regardless of the situation, you also love the music too. So the Absolutely. The, the integration for you must have been really easy. No, it it yeah, but it it was more like, you know, like I told you, uh, I was playing along to Herbie Hancock mm -hmm. albums and, and Michael Jackson albums and so on. But it didn't take me a long time before I got my first drum computer. Yeah, I yeah. never owned a metronome. Right. I immediately had a drum computer, which was a very basic Roland Boss kind of small rhythm machine that couldn't do anything, but it had two things I really liked. First of all, of course, clap sounds. <laughs> and second, it all every every drum computer at that time had one kind of incorporated patch with a bass sound and a very very basic sequencer even when it was only only four four one bar i was actually programming some bass loop and i was playing on top instead mm -hmm. of using a metronome mm -hmm. so i had for instance a, a cowbell on the one and the three and a clap on the two and the four and then mm -hmm. some kind of bass thing going on and immediately if you do more it went into error <laughs> or empty memory or full memory or whatever. But I was just playing a lot on, on top of that. And then, of course, at the same time, hip hop uh, came through with a lot of uh, those Lindrum sounds. And Prince came with his sound, you yeah. know, using drum computers. And that was perfect to play along to because those tempos were stable. You know, when you play along to a Herbie Hancock album for years and years, you immediately actually uh, feel that you know, the tempo is changing from the start till the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you're, you're actually starting at 92 BPM and you're ending after seven <laughs> minutes because the songs on those albums were so long. Yeah. You ended at 115 or something yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they were also smoking at the same time <laughs> when they recorded. <laughs> but anyway, with the drum computer, the tempo was stable. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's probably how I got to be a more stable tempo keeper because it's something you can actually teach your body to feel tempo stability. Mm -hmm. I'm really convinced that tempo stability comes from playing along to stable recordings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I used to teach kids to practice along to pop music that was gridded and all that because it, it, it was less boring than a metronome. Uh, gave it exactly. Con- it gave it context, and yeah. it doesn't move. So yeah. you're gonna you're gonna develop time. You know. You, you know one of my favorite albums I played along to, and that's uh, I feel I still think it's uh, it's one of the best albums ever made in the UK. Is Mark King's solo album. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was a big I was a big fan of Level Forty Two. Yeah. I, I because he was a, he was a drummer playing bass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Yeah, yeah. Mark sure. King is a very good drummer. He became a bass player, and he he has this percussive kind of thing, yeah. and 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 yeah, I totally connected to it. And I played along to his solo album so many for so many years. It, it, it you know, it's 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 just a couple of those albums. When I think back at you know to to when I was starting, have been so influential. Mm. But it's never the albums that drummers usually uh, <laughs> quote uh, you yeah. know i've never i never listened to rush i was kind of a dave Weckl fan but it was not really i was more like an akira jimbo yeah. kind of listener than a dave of course chick korea and everything you know i i also have those albums myself but it was never those kind of things that actually triggered me or mm. or uh, put uh, turned me on yeah <laughs> Yeah, I get it. It was mostly it was mostly Marcus Miller playing bass with Al Foster on a funky uh, Miles Davis kind of thing, which many drummers thought were was boring, but it was so good to play along to. Yeah. So that's how uh, that when I translated that into my own music a little bit later, that's where it that's the influence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So how did you get started with Roland then? So. Well, not not long after my first years as a professional drummer with Blue Blood, I got mm-hmm. a phone call from Jeroen Ravensloot, who's um, who was the Roland marketing guy for Belgium and Holland. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, for Benelux, mm-hmm. and they were, and that was in, um, I think it was um, just after summer in '92, and he told me, "Hey, uh, this is Jeroen from Roland. We met before. He was also a musician, gigging somewhere, and." Uh, we are going to release with Roland, we are going to release a compact drum set. And we are looking for a new demonstrator. Can you speak French? That was his second question. And I, I said, yeah, I, I speak Dutch and French. Yeah, good, because we kind of want to replace our two demonstrators, one for the Flemish and Dutch mm-hmm. speaking part and one for the French part. We want a, a young drummer who can speak both languages so we can have the same person going on the road. And uh, I, I went to Roland. I picked up that drum set. It was a pre-production model. I, uh, I, uh, I experimented with it at home for two weeks and I immediately thought, this is, this is probably what I want to go for. Mm-hmm. So, and then I had to do a test demo in front of a small corporate audience. And that's how it got started. That's how it started. And after that test demo, uh, they they sent me out to dealers uh, around Benelux, so Holland and Belgium. But I also immediately started incorporating samplers. So I had my TD7, the uh-huh. good old wow. TD7. Wow. Um, and it was the first drum set that also uh, had cymbal pads. Okay. It was tom pads, but you could play cymbal sounds on them. So it was the first compact drum set without acoustic cymbals. That's right. what the TD7 is all about. And then I started adding, uh, I, I bought from Roland a big S750, which actually weighs more than that drum set. <laughs> and I put it in a rack and I start, and, and it was with the old disk drives. And then I had the sequencer 
triggering those samples and I had some kind of patch system where I, it was a crazy setup, but I immediately started using, uh, firing samples live uh, when I was performing. And then a little bit later, uh, Roland came out with the SP202 DJ sampler. You remember that one? I don't actually know. And Jeroen told me, you want to use this in your drum setup? This is actually made for DJs. And I said, yeah, of course, because wow. I can trigger samples on it. And it was very dodgy. It was very basic, but it worked. It was so fast. And then uh, I started incorporating, like I, I started incorporating live sampling into my drumming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a little bit of a name for myself doing mm. that. I, uh, I learned how to perform solo, uh, but I was, of course, triggering vocals and bass loops and so on. And it became kind of my own one-man band kind of thing. And it never stopped since. And um, that was still for Benelux only. And it took until 2001 uh, before I really went international because that was the first time I could demonstrate for the Japanese mm-hmm. at, the Roland, at the Frankfurt Music Messe. And uh, after they saw my demo over there, they booked me for this as sort of a test. Um, after they saw my demo over there, they booked me a ticket to Japan. And that's wow. how it started internationally. Yeah. And so I was very fortunate that everything happened at the right time. So I could first make a little bit of a name for myself in Benelux only. Mm-hmm. And then that triggered some Japanese guy saying, okay, we'll have him, we'll try him at Frankfurt. And at Frankfurt, of course, the all international mm-hmm. team from US and from UK, the Roland people from UK, and they started booking me. And that's how I started traveling uh, for Roland. Was, the, was it easy for you to work the gear? Uh, I Quite- actually, after, you know, I learned so much from those doing those demos with the TD7, also the bugs that were in there and mm-hmm. so on, so on, so on. So it, it became, you know, kind of my second nature. If I heard something was not working, it was kind of, okay, let's do this systematically. Mm. Is the MIDI cable in? Okay, the MIDI cable is in. Is the PA on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, is, is, is there something wrong with the phones, Jack? Is, you know, this kind of thing. So it's kind of a system I still use. Uh-huh. You know, like step one, check the cable. Step two, uh, okay, uh, electricity, no, step one, yeah. electricity, okay, <laughs> step two, cables, step three, is there a pad broken, okay, if you think this pad is broken, change the other pad, okay, is it still broken, okay, then it's the pad cable, so yeah, it yeah. becomes kind of a, it's kind of like a, 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 an, air, an airline pilot doing a checklist. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely, because yeah. it must have been pretty um, nerve-wracking to just all of a sudden be playing in front of the guys that make this stuff. Uh, actually, that that crazy morning in Frankfurt, I asked because I, you know, one of the of the main floor uh, programmers, you know, for the performances of all musicians, was telling me, ah, uh, Michael-san, eh, as a Japanese, Michael-san, ah, tomorrow your first demo, please do good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm fucking nervous. <laughs> but of course, I asked him, please don't come to the first demo because maybe I'm a little bit nervous and so on. No worry, no worry. You first demo at 9.15 morning, we come at 10. Of course, at 9.15 in the morning, the full-blown Japanese team was there with all the video cameras. Yeah, so I was so nervous. I was pissing my pants. <laughs> but it went well. And <laughs> sometimes they say you perform better than you think under pressure well that was probably the moment yeah amazing well look at the career yeah. it's, helped, it's helped you build man um i probably know the answer to this question but how do you decide what roland gear to take out live like you your setup is as it could be as minimal as you need it to be or as or as full on so well it depends it depends on the music yeah that's what i was going to say i would imagine it's dependent on the as you see you know this is my (laughs) it became a little bit famous lately because this is my dromeo coaches setup yeah yeah right and when i do when i when we started with dromeo coaches of course i'm well known as a v drums player Uh but the thing is when you start teaching online it's important to reach as big of an audience as possible. Mm. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a very well, well, I'm a well-known electronic drummer, but 
I just want to prove I'm a drummer. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter if you play electronic or acoustic. We're all drummers. Yeah. And in in drumming world, that's a very there's a lot of conservatism still because people think that when you only practice on an electronic drum set, you will never be a good drummer. This is <laughs> yeah. complete bullshit. That's bollocks. <laughs> because I played so many gigs on 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 electronic drums, and it made me a better acoustic drummer. Right. I I physically can witness that i became a better drummer also recording in the studio with an acoustic set right and of course i always combine it as you can see there's the spdsx out yeah, there yeah, yeah, yeah. there's some triggers on there i'm using the evan set because you know it's it's my sound mm -hmm. but when you go to to an electronic setup you i actually choose in function of of what artist i'm playing with or mm -hmm. if i'm playing my own solo DJ drummer set mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because then I start standing up. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of rebuilt the TD50 and now the TD50X into a stand-up version mm -hmm. for the DJ drummer setup and mm -hmm. uh, solo gigs and for the, for the things I do with an artist here in Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, Reggie Live. Mm -hmm. For Netsky, I was sitting down and also for drum clinics, I will be sitting down. Mm -hmm. For the streams, for instance, here, I'm also sitting down. Yeah, yeah. You because never... I want to play some double kicks and so on, so on, which is not possible when you stand up. Well, it's it might be possible, but only once, and then I fall <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> so so it, it really depends on the music. Right. You never use a rack, Tom, when you play acoustic drums? Is that right? Uh, I stopped using it. Um, I, I, I use... I, I have clips online from recently that still have the rack tom. Okay. But something happened. The microphone, there was some kind of problem with the microphone during a stream. And I just, you know what? Let's get rid of the rack tom. And now I love this setup so much because it actually makes me move differently. Yeah. Uh, the tom sounds became a little bit different. And I'm mainly now uh, using the hi-hat also as my smaller rack tom in fills and so on. Oh, cool. Okay. I actually... I actually have a clip online which is becoming a little bit popular and it says hi-hat as a tom. Right. Um, you know, instead of doing this, mm. you know, the half circle kind mm -hmm. of thing, I'm actually going like this, like an iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so so that it teaches you to be more creative then. Yeah. And it also it also sounds a little bit different because that typical gung, gung, gung is gone. Mm -hmm. So you start playing some fills differently. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, using uh, uh, playing a fill which actually starts on a hi-hat or, for instance, on the uh, uh, smaller floor tons, the first one, mm -hmm. and then still ending on the big one. So you have to do kind of a difficult, uh, a different <laughs> mayonnaise kind of thing. Um, yeah. And also you start using your kick drum a little bit differently uh, in fills. Okay. Because, yeah, you don't have the rack tom. So instead of going out front, you know, from the snare to the front, I go from the snare to the bass drum mm. to, to, to buy myself some time to move to my floor tom, for ah, instance. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So sense. instead of taka tuku tuku boom boom, mm -hmm. you go taka boom boom tuku tuku. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, you see, yeah. that can actually taka boom boom tuku tuku. So mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of changes. Yeah, you find different solutions. Mm hmm. That's cool, yeah. man. That's cool. Do you do like? Would you ever do that just on a gig? Just turn up with different drum set, you know? Absolutely. Ah, oh, great. Yeah, I think I think I'm uh, I'm now booked for his. For instance, uh, the first booking for a drum festival came in recently. Tama booked me for a drum festival in uh, in Spain. Tam Tam. No, I already did. Tam -tam yeah, I, I, for I was Roland, I was but, uh, watching that today. This is Alteza. Ah, okay. Alteza drum festival, not so far from Madrid, and I'm actually gonna use this setup in Amazing. the clinic. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, also to let the people, you know, give them the experience that there's no cliches. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. you can you can also when you see some of those uh, younger hybrid drummers, lots of them have just a snare, one floor, two cymbals and an SPDSX in front of them instead of the rack toms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I kind of... I kind of want to shock people sometimes, you know, especially the more uh, conservative kind mm -hmm. of uh, drummers that think that the drum set can only look like a drum set because it looks like two rack toms and a floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh-uh, yeah. there's it's freedom.
Yeah, you can for, do whatever you want. For the longest time, Adam that works here used to play that way. So no rack tom and an SPDSX in front of him. That was what he played for years. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you be, you become one with your setup because you actually start actually playing also that particular setup in a different way than when you're sitting behind the uh, two up, one down yeah, setup. Yeah. And you, yeah, totally. And you have to think differently, you know. You absolutely yeah, do. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I was watching some of your new, your your latest music that you've put out today. I watched Ha, huh? and then I can't say that word. There's a tune, and it's it begins with F, Fokine or something. That one of the tunes that you've written. There's a video for it. Ah, Fraku. Yeah. I, I just, I can't. I don't know what that. I couldn't say that word. But the the music's really hip. It's really cool. So how do you write? How does that process for you start? Well, actually, uh, last week, last Thursday, I released a new single with mm-hmm. a young singer. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is another thing that that happened, but that happened already before COVID. Um, at some point, after doing so many drum clinics mm. and touring so much with Netsky, also, of course, you get to. You get to know some people from the electronic music scene as well. Mm-hmm. Not only live performers, but also DJs and so on. And lots of that music inspires me. I'm, for instance, a very big fan of sounds, how yeah. producers mm-hmm. make it sound. And um, because I've always written my own uh, compositions for the drum clinics, but also always <laughs> uh, mashing up things that nobody's doing yeah. like for instance a nirvana guitar with a with a whitney houston vocal <laughs> and uh and uh and a drop by uh dead mouse eh, for yeah. instance um i started just you know having ideas for myself and then somebody just told me why don't you start your own record label mm. and put out your own music but mm-hmm. not as a michael shack the drummer but as michael shack the dj drummer Is that as a kick? producer yeah, a fat cake, yeah. yeah. And um, Fracu was the first track. And um, and uh, I went to Holland to do some extra mixing and mastering. And I learned a lot from those guys because those guys also work for Tiesto and they work for many other international DJs who spend a lot of time on the airplanes instead of actually <sighs> yeah. actually producing their own music. <laughs> yeah. So I, I also uh, became a little bit uh, friends with some of the ghost writers oh, okay. who actually produce tracks for DJs without having their names on it. But mm. they, these DJ artists, DJs buy those tracks mm. and so they can put their name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a whole, whole business model that actually is centralized not only in... Um, it, it's, it's actually a lot of Holland uh, business going on there. Lots okay. of things are happening in the Netherlands. Um, which is very close, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. me driving to, to the border, to the Netherlands is 30 minutes drive. Mm-hmm. So, so this is how Fraku happened. And then <laughs> I had a second idea, uh, uh, and I was, maybe I should make a single with, uh, John Burko, right? The John Burko, yeah. the chair of the eh? the chair of yeah, the yeah, British the, Parliament. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that, that video is amazing. <laughs> I started looking for samples on the internet, and I I have a very good friend here in Antwerp. Who, he he was a Brit. His name is uh, his name is uh, uh, a very well known uh, stand up comedian, and he kind of impersonates uh, John Burko, and uh-huh. we put his voice and the Burko samples. I made the dance track out of it and it totally went viral in, yeah. at the news agencies uh, in uh, <laughs> November 2019. So that was the second Fat Cake release. Mm-hmm. And then I was saying, okay, I need to continue doing this. Then mm-hmm. I put another single out uh, last uh, year in June. So sometimes it takes a while. But now recently I signed my first uh, uh, young artist on the label and uh, the single has just came out. It's it's called Changing Reality. It's totally produced with, with the acoustic drums, but lots of samples. Mm-hmm. We produced it together. I produced it together with the singer. He's an amazing young talent. He's an incredible good singer. And and I don't know how it's going to evolve, but on Spotify, the streams are okay. So I think this is something that will last for a very long time. Amazing. It's me. It's, yeah. I, I, you know, what struck me... Um, through a lot of it watching it and listening to it the production quality is sensational 
you know, the, thank you. The, the quality of, well, of what you've put out is amazing. You know, actually, in the beginning, I had a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, uh, we all, we all and do. And I learned a lot of things. And then every single, I I did more and more. Uh, I found more and more my own way. And mm-hmm. now uh, with Lacey's single, which came out last week, it's totally, it's totally what we were gonna go for. And sometimes you meet someone with very young ears, and you just hear the same things in your head. <laughs> I have a lot more experience mixing things mm-hmm. because also through doing drum sounds for Roland and so on, I I really found myself a system in Ableton where I, I'm totally working with specific kind of plugins for the kick and the snare and so mm-hmm. on, so on. And, mm-hmm. and everything comes together and there you go. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But it's 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 been a long process. Okay. It's not it's not something you can learn just from watching YouTube tutorials. No. Because then you yeah. end up sounding like those <laughs> YouTube tutorials. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. it's a combination of different things that 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 that's making it more and more personal. Do you still do do you do things like when you when you make a track, you try it on a variety of different speakers to hear how it sounds in the car versus the phone versus Oh yes. Yeah, Especially yeah. at the mastering stage. Yeah, yeah. Because everything I do we do I do everything myself. Okay. I don't have an external mastering engineer anymore. I try to uh, come up with an with a mastering chain that really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sometimes changes from production to production. I de- I even do mastering on the backing tracks, which I use for my drum clinic stuff. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different sound I need. So and I will be playing on top, so the mastering needs to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I I I'm always always checking out things on my studio monitors, of course. Yeah. Also on headphones, mm-hmm. but always in the car the car is the most important you know there's two actually two sets of speakers that people are listening music from only two really it's it's their smartphone and the car yeah it's crazy huh headphones there's a lot of variety some people use these headphones but Mm -hmm. most people also use their bluetooth speakers so i actually bought the specific two brands of Bluetooth speakers also <laughs> to check those mixes on there. That's crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. And the other thing yeah. that, that struck me recently when, when I was watching and doing a bit of research for this is the amount of work that must go into a DJ set that you do is phenomenal. Like, I, I don't think people quite understand that. Yeah, and, and even just the performance element of it where you have to know that music inside out. Like, you, there is no room for error at all. That's pr- Actually, I'm jamming. Really? Yeah, but the thing is, if you have good content, you can start jamming. So I'm, I'm, I have a lot of those of mashups mm-hmm. ready to be triggered when I put on a live show. And of course, there will be there's a, a little bit of a system. Yeah, yeah. So I know for a live show, let's start with an intro that totally captures everyone's attention, and then for the first five minutes, people will be like this. <laughs> First of all, there's 50% of the audience that doesn't believe that it's live. So they're like this. Huh? <laughs> and the other 50% is like. <laughs> they're wondering, I, didn't, I don't know the version of this tune. <laughs> I don't know it. So they hear a vocal, but there's a totally different bass line. But after five minutes, people start really digging into it. And then. Uh, they actually start understanding that I'm doing everything live because sometimes I just stop the music, put the filter on and say, you're not dancing, are you? Baff, and I go back to the drop. That's something a DJ cannot do yeah. because I have everything uh, triggerable. Um, but mostly the system is very simple. I have a lot of mashups ready to be triggered. Also, I can put some, uh, I, have a, I have a full column of vocals that I can trigger on top of those mm-hmm. if I need them. Be, for instance, if the audience is not really active, put on a vocal on there, they start singing along and they're your best friends <laughs> for the rest of the gig. Um, but also there's a system I know like, okay, the first 10, 15 minutes, let's go 130 BPM-ish. Uh-huh. Then maybe depending on the audience, I will bring in some drum and bass a little bit earlier when the audience is a little bit longer mm-hmm. it also depends on the country for instance when you go into east europe drum and bass should be there within the ten, first 10 minutes right. because drum and bass is still very hip and, and big over there okay but when you do this for instance in the states uh-uh uh, <laughs> no drum and bass within 
minute one and 45 because people will leave. Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They need more hip hop and more reggaeton kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and there's another thing I learned, which is really important. If you can make the female audience dance, the guys will stick around. <laughs> That's very, very important. So the, it's always, if you are on a stage position and you see um, uh, women having a lot of fun, uh-huh. your gig will be okay. <laughs> if the women are not reacting, they will, uh, you know, ask yeah. the guy to leave. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's like a trade secret, man. <laughs> it's very important. And uh. the same, I'm, I actually also learned this at drum clinics. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. I'm not kidding because the girlfriend of the drummer who's at the drum clinic doesn't really want to be there. No, no. She, she has nothing with drums. It's a bunch of noise and testosterone. Of course, <laughs> lately they have lucky us. They have been more incredibly, uh, uh, um, female, uh, performance, uh-huh. uh, you know, so for, you know, the, the, the drumming world finally opened up to yeah. multi-gender performances sure. without having separate festivals or competitions hit like a girl and things, you yeah. know, everything is really coming together now. But the thing is, if you can entertain the girlfriend sitting next to the drummer, mm-hmm. they will stick till the end of the show. That's actually, if, if you can make <laughs> them laugh, they will say, Hey boyfriend, <laughs> Hey, maybe you should get that new symbol. <laughs> and then the boyfriend says, yeah, Bro. I can buy a new symbol. So that actually, that's actually a game changer. And I, I started really also looking at the people that are not supposed to be there. That's really smart. That's really smart. It's something that happened through experience because in the beginning, of course, you're just playing for, for the drummers. So as many fills and as many things as possible. But when you make, you know, the parents yeah. and the younger sister and the, and, the, and the girlfriend, when you make them clap their hands, then the drummers say, hey, it's good that I brought you here, didn't I? <laughs> so good marks for me. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. a really, really boring question. But do you, when you set up your SPDSX for things like your show, do you have a system there where like pad one is always the same thing, pad two is always the same thing, pad three is always the same thing? It's such a, yes. boring, it's such a boring question, I'm sorry. Two pads are key. Okay. The start and the end. Right, okay. That's it. Everything in between depends on the song or on the performance. Okay. But I know my lower right hand pad, pad so on the first row, is a start. Right. And it's not the click, it's immediately an intro right. or a soundscape. So it immediately s- starts sounding through a PA. Mm-hmm. And to stop everything, it's pad number nine, upper right. Mm-hmm. And if, if my performance of a particular song, has more kits involved, uh-huh. I will still have sort of a transition sound on pad number nine to be able to actually hit the foot switch and go to the next kit. Yeah, so that gives it time to load or, or anything else. Yeah. yeah, but it's a very simple system. It always works. And for instance, the main drop will be on the middle pad, second row. Right, okay. I think it has to yeah. be simple, right? Because if it's too complicated, you'll end up making a mistake or something. It's all about motoric memory. Right, okay. Because my SPDSX is kind of out there. You know, yeah, it's, it's far away. Yeah, it's so pretty... people can... Yeah, it's something I learned through demonstrations. I want people to see yeah. that I'm doing it live. Mm-hmm. Many people have their SPDSX kind of, you know... Uh, yeah, tucked uh, away. Somewhere yeah. in disguise. Yeah, 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 tucked away. So you don't really... You cannot really see what they are doing. Mm-hmm. But when you make it really obvious, people actually start digging. Ah, okay. Oh, he's going to the SPDSX. Yeah. Some, something is going to happen. Yeah. And that's also what the DJ does. You know, there's tension build. Yeah, and yeah. then the drop comes. Yeah. It gets really funky and people start moving. <laughs> so same system on the SPDSX. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I thought it would be, but I, I, I felt like the nerd in me had to ask. Um, so... You have been known in the last few years for creating sounds for Roland and you've been part of the design team for a few of the newer products that have come about. What Actually, it's, it's, it's been quite a while. The very first product I actually collaborated on, but very actively, was the very first version of the TD20. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, 
Yeah, yeah. So I started doing this uh, in 2003. Right. Wow. So what what's that process like for you then? It's it's a privilege. Oh, for, of but course. It's also yeah, yeah, for hard sure. Work. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, I can tell you a very specific example is what we put out lately: the TD27 and the TD50X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the TD27 was developed before COVID. Right. Uh, I, myself, Cas Rodriguez, and Craig Blundell, we actually premiered the TD27 at the last live NAM show in oh. January 2020. Okay. Wow. So that project, that project TD27, I was involved in a little bit of the of the new sound design, but also the beta testing and so on. Uh-huh. But that project was still going on while we were all traveling. So I was going to Japan twice a year to check on things and so on, so on, so on. And then when I came back to my studio, uh, the Japanese asked me, can you maybe produce these specific process sounds? And then we can put them inside the TD27. And then we can, from that, from those sounds, we will then design the kits, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. because you have, you have three uh, different stages in developing a V-drum set. Uh, you have the engineering part, okay. which is hardware and software. Uh-huh. Then you have the sound part, which is mainly software Uh so it's digital audio and layering and so on but then after hardware and sound come together and the thing starts working you still have to make content which is kit design right so those three things happen not happen at the same time it's like you have to wait for one to be working before you can start the other one okay so it's an evolving process now with td50x that project already started before COVID happened, mm-hmm. but suddenly COVID happened. And <laughs> I was, for instance, booked to go to Japan twice to really work on the TD50X. And of course, in Japan also, everything closed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm lucky that I have my studio. So immediately my studio became one of the main um, uh, <laughs> sound design and test facilities. Wow. Because in Japan, also, everybody had to work from home. That's amazing. But they don't have their own studio. I'm lucky that I, I have my own studio here because of the video thing and everything. Mm-hmm. So the TD50X became a two-year project, but a very intense one mm-hmm. because we wanted, yeah, we all had to work from a distance. Wow, and yeah. I can tell you, so the TD50X appeared in March this uh-huh. year, yeah. but the whole COVID year from March 2020 till March 21. TD50X was kind of an intense project. Yeah, it sounds very like, intense. It sounds like that yeah. would be a lot of pressure as well to get it done. Well, and the thing is, the advantage is we were building it on top of the old TD50, so it yeah. was more like a second version than starting something from from scratch. Yeah, yeah. But it was quite intense working <laughs> this way. Yeah. Do you get to look outside of like music for sounds? You know, like, for example, can you shut your door and record it and, and, and start to work off that as a sound when you're designing it? Yeah. So you can yeah. look at look at whatever you want to try and create the sound. I have total liberty. That's amazing. Yeah. That must be pretty cool for a guy like you who's really creative. Well, well, of course, they, they request me for some specific things because they know I'm a hybrid drummer and they know I'm into electronic music. So they will ask me, for instance, more for these kind of things. And they will uh, ask Craig Brundell, for instance, for the sampling session at Metropolis mm. uh, uh, Studios in London to record cymbals right. sounds. Yeah, because Craig is mainly a, um, uh, a type of drummer who uses a lot of cymbals in his acoustic setup. Yeah. So they will ask him. So we were we were a whole team, but everybody has a specific role, mm-hmm. and my role is 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 more has more involved into the. Uh, uh, process sounds, you know, um, making new versions of old classic TR909, <laughs> totally, totally fucking them up, for instance, <laughs> into something completely different with an acoustic layer in there. So it becomes a more uh, process sound. Uh, for instance, through my experience with NetSky, I know why a drum and bass drum sound needs to be this way to work live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a very specific example in drum and bass, the kick is never as subby as the bass. Right. The kick actually is on top of the frequency spectrum of the bass. In pop music, it's mostly the kick, which has a low punch, and the bass, which is more like low mid, uh-huh. just above the kick. 
So it depends on the on the type of music. And with dubstep, everything got crazy. People think <laughs> dubstep is dead, but it's not. It really isn't. It's so important to have these kind of music styles evolving because it, it brought us so many new kick sounds and so many new snare vibes and so on, which now need to be translated into the feed drums. Yeah, for sure. I think it must be funny with, with things, with, with music trends change. Do you have to change the way you think about producing the sound? No, you have to listen to a lot of things on Spotify. <laughs> and just find the sound it's, from that. And just listen to new things that are coming out. Mm. I'm, I'm, I have so many playlists mm. connected to smaller independent labels. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot say, I, I would never be a good drum sound uh, producer or designer if I would only listen to the things that you hear on the radio. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, uh, that's smart. The radio is already history because yeah. once it, yeah. it's played on the radio, it's been made six months before. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So you yeah. would walk behind the bandwagon instead of actually anticipating on what the people want tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very difficult exercise. And that's what I love. Uh, what I love about doing those DJ drummer things I do myself, you know, mm -hmm. as a DJ drummer on, on, mm -hmm. the, on the live stage, I can actually feel which feed drum sounds that I personally as an artist program in, in the module, which work with the audience and which don't work with mm -hmm. the audience. Mm -hmm. And it's never the sounds that work on the album that automatically will work through a PA system. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Yeah, it yeah. needs to be something more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I also thought you, you did a really, really cool video recently on how to create an electronic clap sound with cymbals, which was super yeah, hip. With broken cymbals. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, I, I, I kind of have to ask this because we're a drum store, but if you were to give someone advice on, on like picking up electronics on a budget, what kind of things would you encourage people to, to, to pick up? Very simple. Don't throw away your old cymbals. <laughs> Don't throw away your old uh, old drum heads unless they are cracked. Mm -hmm. Just buy a very second hat, hand drum shell somewhere. Put a old, an old head in there, mm -hmm. lots of gaffer tape. Buy a roll-on trigger and a TM2 module and get started. Just something as simple as that. Clap sound yeah. and, a, and a kick and sound. It's, and, and the TM2 price has come down. Um, it's, it's a very simple thing to do. And with the TM2, for instance, you will have your first digital, small digital workstation to actually put some extra effect on your acoustic kick sound or uh -huh. whatever. <laughs> um, another thing people can do is just look for a very old secondhand td3 or td9 or td6 drum set on on ebay on on any secondhand or maybe you know uh in in the in uh online on facebook whatever mm -hmm. there's lots of people selling stuff which is a drum set which used to come which used to be popular in the in the in the early 2000s and now maybe for 100 pounds you have a full drum set <laughs> and then just Use that module and use some of those pads and just incorporate it into your setup. Super and for simple. 150 pounds, you might have the most hip hybrid drum <laughs> setup you've ever had. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite yeah. bit of rolling gear like that? Hybrid gear? Do you have a favorite? I have I have a favorite, yeah. Team 6 Pro. Yes, it's amazing, eh? Yeah. It's really... For the hybrid stuff. Yeah, yeah. Team 6 Pro, yeah. It's also uh, a module I was very, very much involved in. So yeah. everything that's in there uh, is also something I like. It's a really powerful piece of kit. It's powerful. It's not the cheapest, but it's the fastest. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. And on top of this, it has so many good sounds from the early V-Drums days that uh -huh. are still very popular. It's the most condensed uh, collection of the best working sounds every live player needs to have. And everything is in the box. And on top of this, you can still import samples and layer uh, things yourself. Yeah. And it also, the interface teaches you a lot about sound layering, how it works. Right. It's actually quite plug and play, but at the same time, it's kind of inviting mm. because it's not too complicated, but it's 
still very powerful. Yeah, it feels to me like they took some of the features that drummers use with the SPDSX and the TM2 and kind of put it in the one house, you know. I love the idea... And that, the V-drums. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea that you can just name something click and the module knows that it's a click and it knows where to assign it. That's so smart, man. It's so good. Exactly. And and one of the other important things is that it's, it's a small box. It's mm -hmm. not big. No. I have it right there. Mm -hmm. And it still has individual outs. Yeah. So if you want to start experimenting with putting a kick sound on a separate track or in a separate PA speaker, you can actually do so. Yeah. So at the same time, it, it brings you kind of a sound conscious thing if you really are eager to read the manual because many people don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Roland's fault because they make it so easy to use, man. Their, their, their gear is so simple to use. If you look at the Facebook groups, there's still a lot of, uh, <laughs> still a lot of uh, people that don't get it. Yeah. And they certainly don't bother to open a manual. No, no, not, <laughs> no, at, all. No, no, not no. at all. Well, what is no. next for Michael Shack? Um, next is, well, we already started the production on the next single, although the new single just came out last week. Um, I'm going to start preparing to get those drum festivals back in shape because, um, you know, I'm eager to go out and uh, play some drum festivals yeah. pretty soon. There's a lot of things we need to show. Um, I'm uh, really enjoying the Dromeo thing, which has exploded. Uh, every Wednesday evening, I'm streaming from here, from my studio. What do you teach there? Well, it's uh, the Dromeo Coaches Program. So instead of just teaching drum lessons, it's, it became much more interactive with people also asking questions. There's mm. a, a Dromeo really went out of their league uh, to make a very interactive um, interface. Yeah. Uh, you subscribe to that interface, which is called Dromeo Edge. Then you go to the coaches program and we are 10. Uh, uh, you have Jared Falk, the founder mm -hmm. CEO of, of uh, Dromeo, but uh, we're 10 international drummers. Yeah. And every day there's a stream. So there's myself, there's um, Eric Improta. Uh -huh. There's uh, Todd Zuckerman. Yeah. There's Dorothea Taylor. There's Domino oh. Sant'Antonio, the amazing successful female drummer on TikTok. So it's really worthwhile. Everybody has his own style or her own style. And uh, it's been a big success. And then um, gigs are starting again. Good. Good. That's we an incredible experience being yeah. back on the live stage. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. We, and I'm fully vaccinated. So oh, uh, I hope to be, yeah, I'm, I hope to be uh, traveling more again soon because i really miss traveling a lot yeah but we would love to have you back man we've only ever had you over the one i would love to come back you know that was an amazing experience last time I was yeah there. it was it was pretty eye-opening for just about every single person in the room i think the only people that didn't that knew what to expect were the rolling guys you know because they, they've obviously <laughs> seen you do it but everyone else was like pretty knocked out by by some of that stuff yeah man. it was pretty amazing yeah it's pretty amazing so i'm really looking forward to just uh not pick up the pieces, but just continue and, uh, and uh, you know, just wait for everything to, for everybody to, to, to be healthy and, uh, and active again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to take some more time than many people expect. I don't think we're going to go into a normal live gigging and live tra musicians traveling situation before next spring. No, nah, I think it doesn't I, look I, like I, it. I think you're right. I think it's going to take it way longer. They can have the football, but you know, fuck the musicians. They, they, they don't matter. But you know, even if you look at the weird Olympic games, which have just started, it's, it's, you know, for those athletes as well, not having an audience, that's a big, big deal. Yeah. It's, it's, a, sh uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's solve this problem all together and then uh, start partying all together. <laughs> so where, where can people find you if they want to find you? There's michaelshack.com. You do Instagram? michaelshack.com. There's uh, my Facebook artist page, which is drummer Michael Shack. There's uh, Instagram, of course. Mm -hmm. That's just at Michael Shack. And uh, there's also TikTok. Brilliant. But that's not really active, but <laughs> it's... Uh, the main thing is Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And if people say, if people tell you that Facebook is dead, well, it's very much alive. <laughs> I can tell you. you heard it There's so much good drumming stuff on there now. There's a bunch of 
crazy drumming groups which are boring and very political but there's so much other good stuff out there there's lots of people sharing uh sharing stuff there's the for instance uh to give you an example dromeo has 1.5 million facebook subscribers wow. and so on and and of course there's youtube man it's it's if if covid is really teaching us one thing it's that the internet is not crashing no it's not it's we, we um, getting even bigger yeah we we got to speak to jared we did an episode with jared and he's a pretty amazing guy yeah, he's, he's yeah but not all you guys have been active on the internet as well you yeah. took it to you you change you took it to your advantage and those are the people that are you know those are the venues like yourselves where where the party is going to start first because everybody's <laughs> eager to get out and see something in three dimensions again. Yeah. But at least you stayed active just showing two dimensions. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good thing. For sure. Well, mate, thank, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a real pleasure thank to you see guys. you and, and talk to you again. And we'll be sure to link your new, your, your new single in the show notes so that people can check it out. Uh, and any other content we can get, if you want us to add anything specific, just let us know and, and we'll get it shared. Let's stay in touch for sure because ah. the direct flights between Amsterdam and Scotland <laughs> are still very much active. Brilliant. Yeah, we will, man. We will. <laughs> Brilliant. You take care, though. Thank you, guys. And uh, good luck with episode number 52 then. Thanks, Michael. Take care, my man. <laughs> okay. Bye See bye. you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drummers Only Radio. You can find us online at www.drummersonly.co.uk. Drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Drummers Only. UK. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Any questions? Info at drummersonly.co.uk is the email. Or if you need leads, it's leads at drummersonly.co.uk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>